Welcome to Athletes to Entrepreneurs, the Alumni Journey. I'm Rob Finkelstein, founder and CEO of Alumni Direct, where we've created a platform to help athletes and other alumni to network and connect amongst their uh, alumni groups. And this show is all about, we interview former collegiate and professional athletes, and we talk about their journey and their transition out of sport into entrepreneurship and business leadership. And it's such a major issue today, uh, mental health, financial literacy. Uh, so it's all about, we want to teach and inspire athletes that there is life after sports. Really excited today to have Josh Berger. How are you doing, Josh? Doing doing well. Yeah, really excited to uh, to be with you today, Rob. Thanks for thanks for having me. Uh, you're welcome. And so I think I think Josh, you might be my first tennis player. So I've I've had the I think I was telling you before I've had the gamut of I've had racquetball players and windsurfers and you know, NFL guys and Major League Baseball. So I, I think you're going to take the cake of the first uh, tennis guy. So you're going to set the standard here. <laughs> It's an honor. It's an honor, and I know you're in uh, in South Florida, which is a obviously a, a tennis hotbed. So uh, yeah, no doubt. So in fact, I, I, the responsibility. Yeah, I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm right around the corner from uh, where Chris Everett had her uh, thing in Mission Bay, Boca Raton here. So and then close to close to Delray. So uh, so Josh was a, a college tennis player at, at Clark University, and then when he got out of that, he got into coaching, uh, ultimately coaching uh, various youth and. And getting into uh, doing some Division One coaching for uh, tennis, and then um, he got his master's in sports psychology. And ultimately, he started his company, uh, Tiebreaker Psych, where he's the founder and the sports psychologist. So, uh, Josh, I always like to ask: um, talk about playing sports and how it shaped you, like up into college. Yeah. So you know, growing up, always always like to you know follow and play a number of different sports. I remember. Growing up, I, you know, I grew up in Connecticut. I used to wake up early and, you know, run outside and, and get the, uh, the New York Times and, and look at the sports section and sort of read the, uh, you know, the stats and, and all of that. So, you know, we'd, we'd always be doing that and watching games and that sort of thing for different sports, baseball, basketball, um, football, different things. Um, you know, tennis ended up becoming my main sport and it was, you know, it was through some of the experiences from both playing, following some of these different sports, but especially playing tennis where it's, you know, it's a one-on-one -on -one sport and I think emotions can definitely run high. And I think we see that whether it's junior tennis, whether it's adult tennis at the club or the park, whether it's pros, you know, the best players in the world, um, you know, people can get frustrated, emotions can go up and down. And it was, you know, it was from some of these early experiences that really led me to, to the work that I do today as a, as a sports psychology coach, but yeah, both, you know, playing competitive tennis, you know, playing junior tournaments, playing in high school, playing in college, and then later coaching at, you know, different places, different tennis clubs at the division one level for a couple of years at Sacred Heart University in Connecticut at the tennis hall of fame as well. Um, but yeah, it was through some of these experiences where I really started to recognize that the mental side of the game was, you know, really an important aspect of, of athlete success and, you know, could often be a, a difference maker between, you know, who ends up succeeding and who ends up, you know, not succeeding or who ends up winning or, or losing when, when it really comes down to it. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. And then, uh, so did you dream about being a professional athlete? Was it tennis or was it another sport as a kid? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think growing up, I would say probably baseball was, was the big one. Um, probably followed by basketball. I used to go to, uh, 76ers camps. So I used to go for a few years to their, their camps. So definitely had, you know, dreams of that. I don't know if I was ever really on that path per se. 
Um, and then I found tennis and I started playing tournaments um, in eighth grade, which was, you know, certainly later than some of my peers. So um, I think at that point, you know, in eighth, ninth grade, I started, you know, playing more tournaments, playing for my high school team. I think I sort of, you know, I, I would have loved to play um, professional tennis, but I think I, I set my sights on college tennis, which felt like a, maybe a more realistic goal in a certain way. And, and also a, uh, you know, an exciting uh, possibility at that time. Yeah. And I, I always joke around. I say that I wanted to be a major league baseball player. Like, and, uh, but I said, that unfortunately the talent wasn't there. So now I do podcasts. <laughs> so uh, let, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, again, the show is about athletes transitioning out of sports. And um, I talked to a lot of the guests about when you were in college, um, did you see any programs from Clark um, related to kind of helping athletes to, to um, ultimately transition out of sports? And I don't mean like just like the one day workshop and it, whether it was tennis or, you know, any of the other sports that they played at Clark. So I, I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say there was a ton of, of that sort of programming. Um, I mean, they, they definitely provided different resources um, for the student body and for, and for athletes, um, on the physical side, on the mental side. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't say that was necessarily the focus in terms of that transition from being a student athlete where that's your life, you know, your life is, you know, being a student, trying to excel in the classroom, but also being an athlete. And also, you know, obviously you have your social life and everything else. Um, and then all of a sudden you've graduated and you are, you know, and you're outside of that, you know, academic world. Um, but no, I wouldn't say that that was the focus. And I, I really applaud, you know, your mission and, um, you know, Alumni Direct's mission of, you know, trying to help athletes bridge that gap where that gap so often exists. Um, because I, I think it's really important. And I think a lot of people, you know, struggle during that time where, um, you know, and I, I, you know, I think a lot of the sports psychology research shows this, and I think this is something I've seen as well with a lot of athletes that I work with where, you know, oftentimes after an athlete finishes their career, whether they finish it at the pro level, whether they finish it at the college level, you know, be, before, before, you know, in high school or whatever it is, they really struggle. They, there's the identity piece that they can miss that community of their teammates. And I, 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 really feel that yeah university colleges and universities could be doing a lot more to really provide um assistance with that transition so no i i, I wouldn't say that i that my university had that and i i i think that there's that universities ought to be doing a lot more in that space yeah i agree and i mean like some of the stuff and you know we talked about it offline of just you know like what we're trying to do is is bring together you know a resource partner team in the various in financial literacy and, and mental health and, you know, career services, some of these different areas that not only help the current athletes, but I, I think a, a lot of the alumni athletes get forgotten. So unless you're like a superstar athlete, uh, they, they tend to get forgotten. So like we want to help them as well. So um, one of the other areas that, you know, I always talk about is um, networking, connecting, talk a little bit about that and especially the importance of doing that while you're still playing. It's, it's quite important. And I mean, I, I definitely, you know, again, looking back, um, you know, when, when you're between, I, I think it's easy to look back after you've left college and sort of think back to yourself between, let's say the ages of 18 to 22. And, you know, for some people, it's a little bit older or younger and maybe wish that you had done things a little bit differently. And I think I, you know, look back and I don't know if I maybe established, you know, or, or you know, established my network or networked in the best 
way that I possibly could have. You know, there were certain um, alumni from the tennis program, for instance, that, um, you know, I connected with a couple of them, but didn't really maybe maintain relationships with them in, in the way that I, I could have. Um, so I, I think that the opportunities were there. Like, for instance, um, we would have an, a yearly um, sort of a hit around, uh, you know, semi-competitive tournament at um, each graduation year. So in, in May of each year. Um, where, you know, certain alumni would be there and they'd hit with some of the current students and that sort of thing. And it would be pretty casual and light, but really I think one of the, you know, some of the alumni would donate. And I think one of the purposes was to, you know, to, to help people build those connections. And I think some of the people on the team probably did that more than I did, certainly. Um, so I, I think those opportunities were there. And I think in hindsight, you know, looking back, you know, eight, eight and a half years since graduating now, which is a little bit crazy to say, um, that, you know, it, it would have been nice to have networked a little bit more. And I think those, um, those opportunities were there, but I think it's, you know, it's on the individual ultimately to take them because they're not, it's not like they're handed to them. And I think sometimes, you know, when people's maturity between the ages of 18 and 22, people don't necessarily always right. maybe take those opportunities or recognize the importance of those opportunities at the time. Yeah, and, and and we we certainly encourage uh, you know the importance of that, and even starting like in high school. I mean, I, I just talk to people; you just never know. Like you know, become friends with you know. I mean, it could be your friends' parents, it could be coaches, it could be you know business leaders in the community. But definitely um, look to do that uh, while you're young and while you're still playing too. Because I you know I've talked to some agents, and they've just said that um, one of the biggest failures they've seen is where some of their players and, and understandably, so they're zoned into their sport, but, but there is time that they could do is that they don't network and connect when they're playing. And then when they're done, like, okay, here you go. And I'm going to get this great job. I'm like, no, because you just, you weren't prepared for that. So I, I think it's really important to do that. And, and you kind of, um, you know, kind of segue a little bit into like what you, you mentioned alumni. So obviously like alumni direct alumni engagement is, is, is really important to us. So what kind of, um, did the school have efforts of, I know you mentioned like, you know, for the hit around it, like in general, did, did you see a lot of that where alumni would come back, but not only for like that one event, like the hit around or for like a golf tournament, but maybe more so to work with, with the, uh, with the current athletes? Yeah. I wouldn't say there was that much of that as far as I saw, maybe some of the more recent alumni. Um, and then I, I think maybe a, a couple of select people that were maybe um, geographically closer to campus. Um, but I wouldn't say that that was, um, ever the sort of a, a main focus or something that was, you know, where, where they had um, a significant presence. Yeah. I, I, and that's, it's, an, now, is it any different today? Like, do you see, have, have they kind of reached, I mean, a lot of people talk about alumni reaching out for fundraising stuff, but do they reach out to the athletes that you know of, or at least to you um, to try to come back and engage? Not so much. I mean, there's, um, I, I mean, there's, you know, there's events like, like what we talked about, um, which I think they, they continue to do, um, in, in different ways and, you know, donating and that sort of thing, but, um, not in terms of sort of a continuous partnership throughout the year type of thing where, you know, alumni can be helpful for connections and for job opportunities and for mentorship or, you know, some of the things that you're talking about, mental health, financial literacy, really important things that I think 
our, you know, this is just my personal opinion that our school system maybe could be doing a better job of maybe before college as well of teaching people some of these, you know, really important life skills that, um, you know, I, I think it, it would be important whether at, you know, whether a university provides or sort of a, you know, an, an organization can provide um, some of these really important sorts of opportunities to two people that, so that they can learn some of these really important skills like you were talking about. Yeah. And I, I think it, you know, and, and I, I see it as a two way street. I mean, I, you know, again, the athlete alumni or alumni in general, you know, they, they need to want to come back as well, but I think it just, it, it'd be great to see more programs encouraging that. And also for the alumni athletes themselves, you know, as I alluded to with the whole, you know, the networking connector, even the transitioning is that um, the ability for alumni athletes to interact with other alumni athletes, um, that could help them out, even if it's across all sports, you know, it does, doesn't have to be specific to that, uh, you know, to that one program. So um, let's switch gears. And one of the things that uh, I always like to talk about is uh, NIL name image likeness and a little bit of a controversial um, topic, but I think there's, there's, you know, both the, the good parts with the bad parts. So give me, give me your thoughts, both uh, positive and negative. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll preface this by saying that I'm, I definitely wouldn't consider myself that knowledgeable about, NIL, and uh, I'm sure, Rob, you could probably tell me more about it, but I, I think I come to it from somewhat of an interesting vantage point in that I am based in um, a, a place currently that's had quite a bit of attention on it over these last 12 months or so um, from a college sports standpoint, and I think in, in NIL is definitely a, a part of that, and that's Boulder, Colorado, where uh, I'm sure you know many are aware of you know, uh, Deion Sanders coming in and sort of the the changes that that's brought. I mean, he was just named, you know, Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year. And there's, you know, an Amazon Prime show about him. Season two just came out. And um, I think he really, he made a lot of changes to the community, you know, brought a lot of excitement, changed a lot of things with the team. And hopefully next year they'll be, you know, be better as well. But um, I, I know, you know, a big part of that was some of these NIL deals that, you know, athletes were able to secure. And um, again, I'm definitely not an expert on this. And I know there's there's pros and cons of it, certainly. Um, but from what I've seen, you know, athletes are now able to um, be compensated for what they produce for the university, right? And I, I know with Dion, you know, and, and sort of the changes to that team, they talk about millions and millions and millions of dollars to the to the campus and to the Boulder economy. And I know that's, you know, like college athletes, especially, you know, select sports like football and basketball. And, you know, there's some others really bring in, have the ability to bring in, you know, tremendous amounts of money to universities, but also communities. And, you know, I think it's my view that they, they do deserve some sort of compensation for that, especially because, you know, they, they don't, you know, their, their future is, is never certain, right? A lot of athletes, maybe they have professional ambitions and maybe they get injured and they never make it there. Or maybe they, and I understand that, you know, a college scholarship is a, is a form of compensation and I get that, but I, I, you know, just like a professional athlete is compensated, you know, oftentimes very, very generously and very significantly, you know, I think um, college athletes, ought to be compensated in a, in a similar way if they can make a similar impact. And I think we're seeing that. I mean, I just saw, I think it was the University of Utah. They just gave, um, I forget which car the company, trucks. but they gave, yeah. it, 
the idea is that I think the choice of either a, a brand new truck or brand new SUV to right. every member of their football, basketball, and gymnastics team, which is, you know, wow. which is a game changer for a, a college student, oh, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, I know some of these NIL deals are, are millions of dollars. And, you know, these are, these are obviously not for everybody, right? These are for the superstars. And I get that. And I get that that's, you know, that these are the NIL deals that we hear about, right? We don't hear about the, you know, I, I played at the division three level. I don't think that that, you know, exist in that same way there, right? We're hearing about the the top of the top, the the 1%, so to speak. So um, yeah, no, I think there's there's definitely benefits. I, I, def, I definitely think that there are, um, you know, that there's a, a definitely a, a strong case to be made that athletes ought to be compensated. But I do also recognize that there's drawbacks. I know a lot of athletes are transferring now, which I know can, um, you know, there's definitely some, you know, on the academic side. And obviously, you know, we... There's a small, small, small portion of student athletes that will go on to have a professional career. So the majority of them will be doing something other than playing their sport for their career. And I think there's, there's certainly academic drawbacks from when, um, when so many athletes are transferring. And I think that NIL has seemed to increase that. And I know like college football, for instance, the transfer portal right now seems to be busier than ever from what I've heard. Um, so I think that seems to be a drawback and, uh, yeah. I, and Rob, I'd be very interested to hear, I know it's a topic that, that you talk about. So I'd be interested to hear some of, uh, some of your viewpoints, maybe for or against, for and yeah. against. Yeah. I think, and I actually have, I have another podcast I do with a co-host, uh, called NIL for you. And, and, and we kind of geared around education. I think the, um, it's definitely positive. You are seeing more because now, you know, we're doing research and things like that for by other podcasts, um, there's a lot going on throughout different sports. More and more you're seeing, um, you know, like tennis, swimmers, runners, like where in the past, it, it, most people hear about, like you said, the big deals, but there are other deals being made. Um, there's there's some great things go, going on, like for NIL for good, where uh, these athletes are taking some of the portions of their um, NIL money and putting it back towards charities, which is great. Um, I, I think that the drawback that, um, that I hear most about and I think of is just the, maybe the lack of education. You know, because it is new that, you know, there's challenges, like especially like on a financial side, like just, um, you know, paying taxes and and, you know, setting up a company. There, there's things that people don't necessarily know about. And, and there's companies out there that are now trying to work with the athletes, uh, you know, especially at the high school level and their parents and just teaching them. I mean, that, you know, we hear sad stories of people blowing their NIL money and then just, you know, the, the repercussions of that. So that that's kind of the downside. But it, it's interesting. And I think it's going to. Um, continue to get better. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on within the NCA space and trying to, you know, set up regular, you know, things where they can be more part of it and helping the athletes. So it's going to be a, I guess, an interesting dynamic over the, the next several years. The other thing too, is like the portals, like you mentioned, I think that's, that's kind of challenging. It's kind of sad because guys are starting out or women starting at one school and go to another school. And if it's about the money, that's kind of sad if it's not, or, you know, I get if it's about playing time, I mean, not getting a chance, but uh, there's a lot going on with that for sure. So um, one thing I've been, uh, I started asking on my sh- uh, podcast, which, which has been, been a, a fun question is um, give advice to freshman Josh. That's a good one. Give advice to freshman Josh. Um, yeah, I, I, that's a good one. I mean, I think freshman Josh was open to, from an academic standpoint, 
to to different possibilities. I know I was interested in business. I know I was interested in psychology. Wasn't exactly sure what I was going to major in. Um, so I think you know maybe having a few distinct rather than just maybe being broad, you know, having a few distinct career ideas at that point, you know, maybe whether that's sports psychology, whether that was something else, um, but having a, a few ideas where, you know, instead I, it was junior year or so where I started thinking, okay, what am I going to do after I graduate? And I think a lot of people fall into that, that sort of trap. I think especially, yeah, you know, I went to a, a liberal arts university and I think a lot of people, you know, maybe outside of STEM, um, feel that way with you know with different types of liberal arts degrees where they um you know i think some of the stem roles some sorry some of the stem um degrees directly lead to specific jobs and i think some of the liberal arts uh degrees are a little bit broader and that they can you know they can apply to, to different sorts of jobs so i think um from an academic standpoint to have a few different maybe career paths as as ideas um, and maybe to, you know, within each of those, maybe start reaching out to people, start maybe alumni, you know, or others and start, you know, building connections, start meeting people, even just having an informational interview so that I can, you know, meet people, learn a little bit about what they do, really see if, hey, is this something I might want to do one day, right? 18-year-old yeah. freshman Josh. I think that would be really interesting for me to talk to someone that does sports, like, you know, that is a sports psychology coach or to talk to someone that's, you know, in business or talk to someone that does, you know, other forms of psychology and, and to really see, okay, what do you do on a daily basis? Is this something I, th I could see myself doing? So that's what I would say from an academic standpoint, I think probably I would suggest to, you know, to do more networking, but also just to, you know, to build probably deeper networking connect connections. I think people, you know, a lot of people when it comes to networking, they're, they, it's their, their network is a mile wide and an inch deep in that they, yeah. they reach a lot of people and maybe they have, you know, a lot of connections on LinkedIn or they have a lot of, you know, first interactions with people, but how often are they really checking in with these people? Yeah. How often are they really building that connection? How, how, how often do these connections really last for the long term? So I think, you know, finding select people that, you know, really good quality people and trying to, you know, build that connection with them over time, you know, investing in those relationships a little bit more. So that I would say probably those couple of things, I think probably from a tennis standpoint, um, you know, there's, I, I, probably could have done more on the mental side on the strength and conditioning <laughs> side. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's more in, in a lot of different ways. So I, I would say there's, there's probably, you know, advice in, in different areas, but I would say, yeah, you know, networking and, and the academic side, uh, academic slash professional side. I think there's definitely some, some important, uh, I, I, I opened up, a, I opened up a can of worms there for you. <laughs> I got, I, I got just <laughs> putting on his, I put, just got his uh, psychology hat on. So yeah, lots of great advice. And, and I would assume most of it too, because I always, the second question is, what would you tell senior Josh, but you probably covered a lot of what you tell senior Josh as well, but any other quick words on what senior Josh might've, uh, you tell him that you haven't already told you, uh, freshman Josh. I can, I can keep this one a little shorter because I think it's something that a lot of seniors and a lot of people, you know, struggle with, whether it, whether they're going from, you know, high school to college, whether they're going from college to the working world or college to, 
you know, a graduate program is, you know, take some pressure off yourself. I think there, there could be a lot of pressure during that stage. Suggestions I tend to give to pretty much every athlete I work with, because people I think probably tend to perform better um, under less pressure. So find ways to take pressure off of yourself, control what you can actually control. Don't try to control everything. Recognize there's always things out of your control and try to take some pressure off yourself. Enjoy the experience. Enjoy your journey. Enjoy where you are. Enjoy, you know, being a senior, you know, yeah. it's a, it should be a fun year. You know, you've, you've built connections, you've made friends up to that point, enjoy it. Um, but also, you know, take some pressure off yourself. Don't feel like, you know, that first year out of college, you have to achieve everything you want to achieve, or you need to make as much money as you, as right. you want to make, or that, you know, it, it, things take time, be patient and take some pressure off yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Now, great, great, great advice there. And so, um, Talk a little bit about like the, you, so your transition out of sports. I mean, here you are, you know, and this goes the same with any athlete, you know, you played your whole life and uh, now you're kind of finished. I mean, again, you were coaching, so you were still kind of tying into it. Um, how was that transition? And, and maybe, um, you know, give a couple words of advice on, um, you know, and now you can put your psychology hat on as well as of, of uh, these athletes, whether it's college or professional or even high school for that matter, but uh, transitioning out of sports. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say in, in terms of that transition, you know, I think really try to be clear about, you know, what are, what are some of your strengths? I think that's important, you know, be very clear about that. Again, I'll go back to that point I just said in terms of take pressure off of yourself. Um, and, you know, and, and just try to, you know, hopefully you have some sort of a network built. I think these days it's easier to build networks, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's other resources out there, you know, such as, you know, Alumni Direct, you know, I think being able to, you know, use what's at your disposal, whether it's your strengths, whether it's those resources and, you know, and, and then, you know, have conversations. You can cast a wide net, you know, have conversations with coaches, with teammates, with friends, you know, sometimes by talking to other people, they can help you understand what you're really good at, what makes you special, what makes you unique. And then it can be a little bit easier to, you know, really understand what could be a great fit for you in terms of, you know, the working world or, you know, what sorts of jobs or roles could be good for you. So I think, you know, have different conversations. People tend to maybe pigeonhole themselves and think, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. That's, that's it. But I think sometimes through having conversations, through meeting people, through networking, um, through, you know, engaging with people that really know you well, that can change and you can start to come up with new ideas. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, so what you're doing today. So you transitioned out, you got in the, you got your you know, master's in sports psychology and uh, so talk about, um, you know, your company, talk about tiebreaker psych and some of the things you're doing and then ultimately how people can find you. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of what I'm doing, my, um, you know, I'm the founder and sports psychology coach of tiebreaker psych. And, you know, essentially I work with all different types of athletes. I work with individual athletes and teams, um, all about the mental side of the game. Um, and these are athletes of different sports, different ages, different levels. Since I come from that tennis background, um, there, there are a lot of tennis players that I work with. It's probably close to half at any given time of, of the athletes that I work with. And then the other half is a wide range of different sports. I could try to list them all off. There's, there's quite a few different ones, but uh, yeah, I, I would say that really what I do is I work with athletes 
on building and developing different mental skills that they can that they can utilize in different situations that they that they find themselves in. So for instance, things like self-talk, things like routines, visualization, mindfulness, goal setting, preparation, how they reflect and recover from performances and hopefully learn from them. So help them build these different tools so that when they're in tough situations on and off the court or the field or whatever they're playing arena is, uh, that they feel equipped, that they feel like they have tools and they feel equipped and they feel ready to handle and tackle whatever situations are, are in front of them rather than maybe feeling lost or overwhelmed by the situation. If you feel like you, you know, have developed some of these different skills, hopefully ahead of time, and you've built that foundation, it can, it can hopefully be a little bit easier to navigate some of these situations. And I would imagine you're probably, you know, doing it, you could do it anywhere, right? Or do you have to do it specific to your state or you could do it in different states? How does that work? So I can do it anywhere. So I'm not a clinician. I'm not, you know, a therapist, um, you know, so, uh, you know, or a clinical psychologist. So I, I am able, you know, I'm a sports psychology coach. And really what that means is that, you know, I'm not, I don't focus on the mental health side with athletes. I focus on the performance side. Gotcha. So because of that, it gives me a certain flexibility, which is really nice. You know, I, um, I'm able to be anywhere. My athletes can be anywhere. You know, I predominantly work with athletes from the U S but all around the U S and different, you know, different parts of the country. Also, you know, some international athletes, but I also can be anywhere. You know, I was living in Connecticut. Then I was living in Rhode Island. Then there was a period of time where I was traveling a little bit nomadic. Now I live in Boulder, but still travel quite a bit. And, you know, some of the time, you know, that's with my laptop and I'll do sessions from all different places. So definitely gives me a nice sort of flexibility that, that I like that, that really fits in nicely with the lifestyle that I've built. Yeah, that, that's great. I mean, I, you know, obviously it's, uh, the remote world opened up after, after the pandemic and, uh, it's, it's helped a lot of people, but it's, you know, in, in a very positive way, it's just, you know, being able to reach out and help as many people as you can. And, and how do people find you? People find me different ways. They can go to my website, which is tiebreakerpsych.com. So T I E B R E A K E R. PSYCH.com. Um, I also have a pod, I also have a podcast called Tennis IQ Podcast, which I'm the co-host of with Dr. Brian Lomax. And um, you know, we, we both are sports psychology professionals that come from the field of tennis. You know, we both come from a tennis background, both work with a lot of tennis players among other athletes, and we talk about the mental side of tennis. So people could check out Tennis IQ podcast as well, you know, check or check out Tiebreaker Psych. Uh, trying to be a little more consistent on the social media side of things. So uh, you can follow me on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and, and LinkedIn as well. Um, you know, that's just my, my full name there. Um, and yeah, always happy to connect. I offer a free introductory session. If anyone's ever interested, that's generally about 30 minutes long, you know, as a chance for us to meet and really see if sports psychology sessions are something that people are interested in. Um, and yeah, always happy to, you know, connect and have a conversation and, and take it from there. Yeah, that, that's great. And we'll, we'll put all that in the show notes as well. And then you can find us at uh, alumnidirect.com and you can find our show on our Alumni Direct YouTube channel. Uh, it's across all the different podcast networks. And I, I really encourage people to follow, listen, and, and view these podcasts. It's just such great information. You know, the athletes like Josh and, and, and a lot of the prior athletes I've had across all sports, just giving a lot of good information. We really want to make an impact and helping athletes to, as they transition out of sports and, 
teaching, inspiring again that there is life after sports. So thanks, everybody, and I look forward to seeing you again soon.